Welcome to the Docs Who Lift podcast, where we distill and simplify the complexities of a healthy lifestyle, exercise, medicine, and weight loss. We're excited to bring you a podcast that's a prescription for clinical practice, scientific recommendations, and just real life. This This is the Docs Who Lift podcast. Docs Who Lift podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Spencer Nadolski. Got my co-host here, Dr. Carl. And we are going to talk over some cases today. We don't have a special guest today. This is going to be a quick podcast to go over a couple cases like what what would we do in certain cases where we see someone come into the clinic or in my case online clinic to see me so we picked out a few cases here and yeah these are based on uh, really almost like uh, the topics of request recently so i'm not going to like give it away per se but we're also not trying to pimp our colleagues in the in academics since this is for people but these are a couple cases of um, common disease states that we certainly see a lot of and take care of that people just wanted us to talk more about. Yeah. All right. So what's the first one? All right. So <clears throat> this is actually based upon a case I just presented for an academic conference up north uh, for endocrinologists. Uh, that doesn't really give you a hint since we do almost all of that stuff, but uh, I'll try to change it up so it sounds uh, more appropriate for, for the people out there. So this is a 59-year-old African-American guy Um, He's been struggling with obesity for a long time. He has type 2 diabetes. He has kidney disease. He actually has uh, coronary disease. He had a um, a, a non-ST elevation heart attack, MI, uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, and he's concerned because his primary care, I'm going to say it's you since you're the family practice doc, um, said that his liver enzymes were elevated. So you got this guy, um, he's struggling with weight, he's got diabetes, he's got heart disease, some kidney disease, and he got his annual labs done, um, something called the hemoglobin A1C that I think we've talked about that, that uh, correlates yeah. to an average blood sugar is 7.5%. Three months average blood blood sugar, 7.5%. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's yeah. like he's, uh, he's his blood sugar's average you know, in the high hundreds. I'd have to... Yeah, that's fine. And, um, but then also when it, you know, he's getting his kidneys checked and everything, his AST, these are, uh, we call them amino transferases, um, they're liver enzymes. Uh, AST is 40 and his ALT is 80. What do you think of that, Dr. Spencer, family practice? Well, you got these he, things. You got to see him. Is CMB. he on any medicines? What? What's going he on? He is on. He's on rosuvastatin, a statin to lower his how cholesterol, much? to reduce his cardiovascular risk. How much? People, how many? How many milligrams? How many you think? He better be on twenty. <laughs> oh, he's on. He's on forty. He's all on right. 40. At least all right. Good. <laughs> all right. Uh, he takes an aspirin. Um, no, I'm going to actually change time? this up because some of what I was trying to uh, get people at my conference to talk about was what uh, medications are appropriate for kidney disease and and coronary disease. So I'm going to say he's he's on metformin. He's on. Uh, our fa- one of our favorite uh, GLPs, semaglutide. Oh, nice. Uh, he's, he's on something called lisinopril, which is an ACE inhibitor for his blood pressure and his kidneys and his, and his heart. And we'll also say he's on uh, impagliflozin or Jardians. So 
For those of you out there, he's on Ozempic, that weekly shot that mimics your intestine hormones to help you lose weight, improve your sugars, and has uh, heart benefits. And uh, Impagliflozin is called Jardians, and these are the medications that trick your kidneys in pe- into peeing out sugar, and they're really good for your kidneys and heart. Well, who's, but he's got who's this elevated nutrition. What's it? Well, so um, <laughs> he he doesn't drink any sugary drinks. He goes out to eat a couple times a week. Um, he's trying to go a little bit low carb, but it's really hard for him. He struggles. He has, um, you know, he just he stays hungry when he tries to go low carb. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't really want to do keto per se and eat a lot of fat. Okay. And he's he's trying I'm, to walk more. Most days he gets a little bit of walking in. And what's his height and weight? His height, he's five foot eight. He's 243 pounds. That gives him a body mass index of 37. And does he have any mus- you know, muscular? Yeah, he's, muscle. he's not very muscular, but he does have an okay. elevated waist circumference. Waist circumference is it's elevated. It's 112 centimeters. His right, blood so pressure, what? by the way, is 140 over 90. So he was referred to the endocrinologist? Or, well, or I'm kind of saying this is your patient. Oh, okay. Because you got him on all that. You got him on the right diabetes stuff, reducing his heart risk and reducing his kidney risk. But now he's got these elevated uh, liver enzymes. Yeah. Sounds like he's developing maybe some non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. But did he listen to our podcast on that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but he's worried about it. And um, he doesn't drink any alcohol. So he's like, it can't be the alcohol. So not to, we don't want to get too into the weeds, but what would you start looking for? So you already mentioned the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And anybody yeah. who knows this probably knows that's the direction we're headed. But yeah, I mean, uh, he's got high risk features and, and very high risk for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I mean, you, we talked in our podcast, you look at their platelets, you do a FIB4. Yeah, but you're the primary you care go. doctor. What else would you do or what else would you talk to him about? What other things do you need to think about? I'm trying to get him. Not that weight. I'm pimping you. <laughs> no, I mean, wait, I mean, what are you talking about? Well, no, I'm saying, looking wait, at other well for, for patients the... out there, they have elevated liver enzymes randomly. Yeah. You're I mean, not just going to... Yeah, you look for other causes of the right. elevated liver enzymes, you know, things like celiac disease. I've, I've found a few, um, I mean, other, some of his medicines, you want to make sure the medicines aren't causing it. Right. That's why he asked about medicines. Yeah. He, uh, other other things I've seen. Um, so people, I've you seen know, some autoimmune. Uh, yeah. Autoimmune so like the, you know, those, those autoimmune uh, mitochondrial and, and liver diseases, um, uh, your, your doctor will check ferritin. you for, for the different, yeah, ferritin, these, these ferritin. iron overload things. Um, obviously viral hepatitis, you know, hepatitis C, probably yeah. everyone's going to get screened for. If there are risks of hep B, would you do that? As a primary care doctor, would you look into all those? Yeah, things? We, I mean, we do, we get the whole panel. We get the. I mean, I yeah. I tend to get the whole panel. Is, is there a whole like kind of panel for? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're talking about viral, the hepatitis. Yeah, viral yeah, hepatitis. Okay. Panel. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to when you're looking for you know for ruling out other causes, you have to go through the little algorithm. Be like, all right, yeah. let's get a ferritin. So yeah. We, oh, by the way, you know what? I, I want to go backwards a little bit just because I think it might change what we do. So let's say he, he's not on semaglutide or ozempic. He's actually on dulaglutide called Trulicity. Yeah. So for those of you out there, those are two different ones. You probably see him on TV. Although you'd yeah. be amazed how many people I have who don't say they don't watch TV when I ask them that question. Have That's a lie. That's, That's a lie. <laughs> I don't know. They, I don't, it seems pretty legit. So anyway, so let's say that. Um, all right. So, so your primary care, what now – Obviously, everyone's going to have a different physician who feels, uh, you know, different levels of comfort doing different things. But just for discussion's sake, uh, you know, Dr. Spencer's your family practice doctor. He might feel a little bit more comfortable doing some more advanced, you know, endocrine 
metabolic stuff, but what do you kind of think that the patient should expect from their primary care doctor now? You got a bunch uh, of liver specific things. They're normal. He yeah, doesn't I mean, drink I, alcohol. I think they should, I think they should, Is I mean, it? you could, you could start looking into the elastography and really looking yeah. at fibrosis on their liver. Uh, yeah. So people really want. should listen to our fatty liver talk. Um, that goes over a lot of this. So like you mentioned, he's really high risk for not only all those other things like heart disease, he's obviously already has diabetes, we're trying to protect his kidneys, but he really is at risk of the liver centric, like the, the liver disease that comes from obesity metabolic syndrome, which is called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And yeah. so it's, it's really become a leading cause of uh, liver failure, cirrhosis, and even cancer, liver cancer. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, see, I have a few, I have a patient, uh, I think I posted about it, but a, a patient, um, came to me a few years ago. I saw this exact type of thing and I ended up getting them to the, getting them to the liver doctor. Oh yeah. I remember. And they've lost now God, like the 30%, 30 or so percent of their weight. They're not taking any medicine doing it. Not that that would be wrong if they were to take medicine, of course. And, uh, they're, they're, they were told they need a liver transplant, but they're holding off because they've lost so much weight and they seem to be stable. So, um, in this patient, I mean, you can do the elastography, see if there's, yeah. you know, how. Well, you, you mentioned uh, uh, something called a FIB4. So for yeah. the patients out there, we'll, for the sake of argument, say this guy did get um, what, what's called a um, complete blood count, and that includes platelets. And plate, low platelets um, are a surrogate uh, or can reflect the liver not working so how well. well. The, so there's, yeah, how well the liver's working. Yeah. It's, it's so there's protein. this there's this index that physicians should be calculating that uh, really est is a good job at estimating your risk of significant liver disease from a fatty liver. And this thing's called a FIB4. It stands for fibrosis 4. And it has to you use age and you use those enzymes that we talked about, that AST and ALT, and along with this uh, thing called the platelet count. And it just is a risk estimation, just like we do for your heart disease disease risk or your osteoporosis and fracture risk. We use statistics to use these little calculations that have been validated with a lot of science because we don't want to overdo treatment, right? We don't want to give yeah. you medicine if we don't need to. And we well, want to give, know how I give, I give everybody trisepidine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So this guy, anyways, yada, 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 his, his fib four it was 1.47. People out there don't care. But what it is, is it's a kind of an indeterminate or intermediate risk of, of having significant fibrosis that puts you at a real high risk of liver failure. And so then you, you mentioned something called an elastography. So it seems like you'd need to send to GI unless, uh, yeah. I don't know, I was just talking to people about, man, we, we should probably get this in our, um, you know, our obesity and cardiometabolic it should be. center, you know, maybe should be. between us and the GI docs, it would get used yeah, more. That'd be nice. So anyways, so this thing that uh, Dr. Spencer is sending you to might not happen unless you see a, a specialist, um, like if you ended up being referred to me or the uh, liver doctors, but if we can get more people being aware of this, then maybe this sort of thing will happen. And this is kind of like an ultrasound, um, but it's it, it's called transient elastography. And it really essentially measures the liver stiffness. And so more liver stiffness is really well validated at predicting the risk of fibrosis. And you might not need to go see the gastroenterologist to get a, a liver biopsy, because that's what this is essentially yeah. replacing-ish. But yeah, that's to get confirm. a real diagnosis, you got a liver biopsy. All right. So did you did that happen? Did yes. <laughs> so this guy, he got this thing called a fibro scan. And I don't have any stock in a fibro scan. In fact, 
maybe there's I can get my clinic to buy different, it. There's different brands, right? There's fiber Yeah, but that's that's really the 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 you know kind of leading one, uh, well validated one, and uh, and it's his score was 11 kilopascals. And so what that is, and by the way, these fibro scans, they're good for other types of fibrosis, including alcoholic uh, fatty liver disease. Well, this also puts them in this risk for um, what's called F. So liver fibrosis gets staged from zero through four and what they call clinically significant, meaning eh, you're at a high risk and we need to do something about it is from like that F2 through F4. So this puts him in this F2 um sort of range, knocking on the door of F3. So he does have high risk. Well, what do you think? What well, do you they, think, Are Dr. they going to biopsy him or no? No, we're not no, going to. they decided not to. They're just assuming. No, we're, is... we, don't, we don't have a liver doctor around and he doesn't want to get a biopsy. All right, so I'm just going to, I'm going to help him lose weight. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. So that is the absolute most important and well-validated uh, treatment for non-alcoholic fatty liver and specifically that non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, the, the inflammatory fibrosis that puts you at the high risk. But we've talked this, all this time. It's, it's easier said than done. He, yeah. I said he's, he's on, he's on trulicity. He's on dulaglutide and he's still just kind of hungry when he goes ketos, cutting the carbs, gets cravings. Yeah. So, so how are you going to, what, what kind of dietary plan are you going to give yeah, him? Are going to go mean, keto? I'm, no. No. What about should we go uh, Ornish, low fat? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find a way. I'm gonna try to work with them. Probably have to work with one of my coaches to find a dietary pattern that's as satiating as possible with fewer calories. It sounds yeah, you know, repetitive and, and annoying, but like there may yeah. be something, and you have to look, you know, culturally, you know, different races. We have different. Um, uh, different cultures that have different foods, so yeah. like I'm not gonna force them into some dietary pattern that he's never going to eat. I, I remember, I think I told the story before. Of, I remember a, a Mexican family coming in for a CrossFit and uh, the coach was like, no, no, no more corn and you can't eat corn. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with corn. You just probably shouldn't, you know, have super right. processed whatever like telling corn, something or other. Telling me I'm not allowed to eat ice cream anymore. Yeah. So, you know, you know, what's interesting, I, that story, I'm sorry to, uh, it's going to make this go too long, but um, and this is the problem with uh, do doctors and dietitians who who are so extremist and they're just so biased. So we had a few people go to, uh, I, don't, I hope I don't get in trouble, but a lifestyle medicine clinic. But you know what that means? That all they they try to force everyone to be vegetarian. Yeah. And um, and it really turned off some of my patients. And I'm not knocking vegetarianism. We want people to eat more plants. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like one of these uh, females was literally like grown up on a on a beef farm or something like that. And she was like, "What? No, I'm not, I'm not yeah. gonna do that." And they're like, "No, no, no. That's what you have to do." Yeah, why not? You got to meet people where they're Why not make some flank steak, you know, whatever, yeah, whatever. Nicely, I mean, like, anyways, okay, yeah, so, so we got to I mean, find a way to create an energy deficit, lots of, but that's lots hard more, because lots more plants. Yeah. his biology is working against him. Yeah, so his biology is working against him. So you, we tried our hard. best. He works with one of my awesome coaches, and I'm, I'm definitely switching him from dulaglutide to terzepatide because that's uh, hold on well that's what I, said I, he had, I know but he has coronaries so this gets this gets into more of a discussion with uh <laughs> with my audience at the the conference so what my argument to them was we don't have the cardiac yeah, this uh, is going to get too uh, much for patients I, but, I mean honestly but, I'm, I'm but he has I, established disease yeah i i, I and he I hasn't tried semaglutide yet that's why i changed it 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would. I'd, I'd go. I'd go semaglutide. I'd go terzepatide. I'd actually help him lose weight. I'm just kidding. Semaglutide okay. would be fine. Well, your semaglutide. honor. Semaglutide <laughs> would be fine, but I'm going terzepatide, and I'm going to just optimize his lipids with, uh, with, with. Um, uh, obviously, his he's already on uh, high dose of rosuvastatin. I'm going to add probably azetamibe on there too. Well, I don't, we didn't even get into what his non-HDL was. Anyways, but his matter. triglycerides were high. It, we need to make it like 10. <laughs> okay. So um, what what goal weight loss would you would you kind of like talk to them about and, that? Yeah. So yeah. he's 240, whatever. Yep. I'm going to get him. I want to get him to at least lose 25 to 30 pounds at least, yeah. if not 40. So the goal so, of our our weight loss, of course, to treat the obesity, if, you know, you start seeing a lot of good uh, liver fat reduction when you get five, seven percent, but you really start to reduce that risk of that fibrosis that that we're trying to describe. That's that real high risk when you start getting over ten percent weight loss. So, yes, dietary mechanisms, um, uh, but we got to help people. And in his case, I think uh, the semaglutide GLP would be good. Now, if if is and there's a reason for that. So semaglutide also and terzepatide that you talked about, um, they have. Well, semaglutide specifically has data for people who actually have fibrosis, which he's at risk for. We think he does. And so that's another reason to like maybe think semaglutide. But terzepatide is almost certainly going to have those it cardiovascular benefits. And, and again, the weight loss is probably the primary reason why semaglutide has done well in these trials for fatty liver and NASH. Um, so we would expect the terzepatide to also just smoke it. And we already know from one of the studies that it did significantly reduce the um, liver fat. It was in the, in fact, it was compared, uh, was it, no, it was compared to an insulin Degladec for some reason. Yeah. But um, it was a cool MRI study. Anyways. Cool. So that's that. Yeah. Also, I would, we would, would you want to um, try to help them do a little bit more Mediterranean pattern, even with yeah, the energy I'd, reduction? I'd try, but like, you know, like I said, culturally, whatever. What if, it, what if he was drinking butter? Yeah, we're not doing. Would you want to replace that? Butter. We're doing <laughs> olive oil, nuts. Yeah, whatever. Nuts and, nuts and seeds. So you know. a little bit more Mediterranean pattern. Lower saturated fat is is probably good for Nash, but not. Yeah. It doesn't. It, it kind of means nothing unless we uh, find a way to help them lose the weight. Same kind of like exercise. Exercise is medicine for fatty liver, um, but it, not necessarily the thing that's going to be the weight loss and reverse the Nash, as far as we know. But yeah, maybe nice to right. start pumping some iron. So there are some other medications that uh, he could consider in, in this case. Um, so I'd be interested to see what you what you would do as the primary care doctor. So there's a medicine called pioglitazone. The uh, the trade name for that was Actos. It's it really should be generic now. And um, this medicine has some of the best data in Nash, meaning the the actual uh, reducing inflammation and, and fibrosis would you spencer feel comfortable talking to them about actos or would you like let someone like me or the no i mean i, I don't even know the gi doc would you you might i mean but, i do it i i do a lot of stuff all yeah. the time if his a1c is high but i mean i think you start at um add on that terzy a1c is going to come <laughs> yes. right down i promise well especially you. with the weight loss right yeah but uh, um, but it would so so, yeah. so this medicine is really good for sugars and it and it really works in a like a a, a fat metabolism uh, sort of mechanism and it shifts the distribution and where the energy is going and so it's really good for sugars it actually does have pretty good cardiovascular safety and benefits um, it uh, if, as long as you don't have heart failure for people so if you have heart failure and have 
feel like you get swollen with fluid too much, you're probably not going to be able to use this medicine. But but it it, it, it is really good for the liver. So that's one. Um, yeah. The Jardians, the Empagliflozin he's on. We don't have great data for that fibrosis, that inflammatory part of it, but it, we know that helps reduce uh, liver fat. Um, do you think patients will ask about vitamin E? Have you heard that? Yeah, all the time. Fish? They always say fish oil, vitamin E. Yeah. So now there's not a lot of data for the fish oil part, but the vitamin E has some, but it's not in people with type 2 diabetes. And then there were some concerns. Do you, do you Have patients talked to you much about vitamin E? I really haven't lately. Nah, not too. Not, it's, yeah. No. Not there really. was there were some cardiovascular concerns, and I think cancer. Is that? Yeah, that we we should have we should have had uh, Kevin. Um, Kevin Clatt. <laughs> when, when we lost, next time when he when before we lost him. Yeah. Uh, actually, in Deirdre, uh, Doctor Tobias from Harvard has done oh. has done some tweets on that. We'll have to get her on okay. to talk about the. So basically, the bottom line with that is it you know like what we put in our guidelines that we talked about in the in the one of the earlier podcasts, there isn't really enough data to support it. And there's enough concern of risk where it's really kind of fallen out of favor. But there are other medicines coming down the road. But I think you're right that this this guy, we just need intensive weight loss efforts. And by the way, uh, other weight loss medications uh, certainly can be considered um, for depending on other characteristics of patients. So don't think that it's just these meds. Um, but these meds are going to, you know, they're yeah. going to be the preferred ones for someone with this that actually has NASH because yeah. it has the, has the data behind yeah. it. So I wouldn't mess around with other ones. No sympathomimetics in this guy. All right. So we'll see how, um, how people like that if they ask more questions. Should we do the one more case? Sure. Just to kind of one more. set us up for, uh, for the future because a lot of people want us to talk about this. So this is a 26-year-old female. She has concerns about continued weight gain that she's struggling with. She was pretty thin growing up, going through adolescence. She played a lot of sports in high school. But she's, she says she's always had fairly irregular menstrual cycles. And, uh, and she, she gets more acne than she thinks is normal. Um, she's always had hair. Uh, more hair on her upper lip than she likes and her chin. But now she says she's starting to get some around her belly button. And this is dark hair, by the way, um, a little bit on her chest even. Uh, she says ever since she graduated high school, she slowly gained weight. She gained 20 pounds in college and then a few pounds every year since then, despite, you know, she's trying to get in the gym. Um, she's she's working on her diet. She's trying to go keto. and uh, But she does struggle with cravings and she gets hungry um, when she tries not to eat, like when she does like fasting and stuff. Um, she doesn't want to have kids now, but she just got engaged and uh, she'd like to have kids by the time she turns 30 and she's, they're practicing having, uh, reproducing. Yeah. Well, that sounds fun. Lots of practice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh nice. I see. <laughs> um, yeah. So, sounds like she's got some PCOS, but... Uh, yeah. What's what's PCOS? What does that stand for? Polycystic ovarian syndrome. So a lot of people are have been asking about this. And so this isn't going to be our full podcast on this, but this is just maybe no, a little we, teaser. We want to get, a, we wanna get a, a, one of the best researchers, if we can, out there yeah. to discuss it. Um, we, we were laughing. Well, not laughing. This, this Mark Hyman guy... Oh he, uh, no! He did a little thing. Basically, said that oh, PCOS. It's caused by carbs. It causes uh, bearded lady syndrome or something like oh, that. Oh my very, god! Um, <laughs> what a jerk! Yeah, like <laughs> doesn't he doesn't know what he's talking about, and then he's just blaming yeah. it on carbs. It's like and then he wow. gives Cleveland Clinic a bad name because they decided it was 
reasonable yeah. to have a yeah. functional medicine I'd, clinic or I'd, whatever they I'd blame them for allowing it. But so so PCOS, I mean, and, and first of all, this is really not a great name for it. This is just kind of how it was coined because of uh, this. Uh, you get multiple uh, cysts, poly cysts in, in ovaries. Um, and so it's become associated with that. But that's really probably not you know, a huge part of the actual right. syndrome and the disease process. So, yeah. um, all right. So this person's, this person really is seeing you, the primary care doctor. So yeah. she says all this stuff. And I mean, would, what would you tell her from a primary care perspective? Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on what her main complaint is. If she's coming in with wanting fertility versus mm -hmm. wanting to lose weight or all of the above, yeah. uh, I'd help her through any of those, um, uh, issues, underlying issues, I'd try to help her through the PCOS and address the underlying uh, metabolic yeah. abnormalities. Um, and her, well, let's say her BMI is 30, yeah. you know, or may, right. maybe not even, maybe it looks 29, let's yeah. say 29, 20, 20, yeah. 28 and a half. So, so I, you know, you know so like not everybody that gains a lot of weight is going to develop PCOS. You have an underlying um, genetic uh, predisposition and then yeah. the environment kind of it's interacts with it with your weight. And then all of a sudden, boom. You, it's, yeah. It's, so it's, certainly it's, it sounds like PCOS, sounds right? Like PCOS. And, and PCOS is the most common hormone disease in young adult adolescent female. So yeah. that statistically makes sense, but you're the primary care doctor. Do you, what, do you need to check some stuff to make sure yeah. it isn't so, anything I mean, else? Yeah, there's something called the Rotterdam criteria. There's new, yeah. you know, new guidelines. It's been around out, forever though. Yeah, the, the new guidelines have kind of endorsed endorsed it. Um, and she certainly uh, and, the, she meets those this, yeah, this criteria because periods, she has two out of the three yeah, the irregular periods, irregular periods, high androgen levels yeah. just based on the the, the, excess, the hair, the hirsutism. Androgen and then, means like guy what you kind of stereotypically think of as guy hormones. By the and way. then uh, yeah, we didn't do an ultrasound, but. Um, yeah, we're that's that she, polycystic uh, ovaries and their, their criteria for that. But again, that that seems to be less um, of interest these days because it's really everything else going on. You can do, so, you can kind of oh, confirm these things. You can get a total testosterone. Right. Uh, so level. if they don't have hair, they'll they'll probably get need to get drawn. Um, yeah. They'll get a testosterone but, with all their other labs. That I mean, the other thing get. is, I don't know if you probably do this, a 17-hydroxyprogesterone yep. and some other things to ensure you're, you're not yeah, missing so there, something Yeah, so there are a few things that we have to check from the, the hormone world, the endocrine world. So your doctor um, either will or will ask somebody like me to help and check uh, a prolactin. So that's uh, that hormone that comes from your pituitary, helps with milk letdown. Um, they'll certainly check your thyroid. So they'll check at least the thyroid-stimulating hormone because... Um, these these things, hypothyroidism and too much prolactin, can kind of mimic uh, these features. Not necessarily the weight gain, but the the facial hair, the irregular menstrual cycles, and all that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, you mentioned the 17-hydroxyprogesterone. That's that's for a relatively rare thing called non-classic adrenal hyperplasia, but um, but that can mimic this. And then um, there are some rare things. Uh, we, we had a podcast where we talked about hormones and weight, and we talked about Cushing's. Cushing's. So too much cortisol, your stress hormone. Um, you know, so that's something I've had, people I've should had think a, about. I've had a few patients with PCOS that I swear they had Cushing's. Really? Because the way they the kind of Cushingoid features. Yeah, I know. I, it's, it, well, so here's another thing. So, um, you know, a lot of these different, <laughs> if it's PCOS and it's obesity and, you know, there is kind of a, 
it has to do with the cortisol enzyme. So you get more um, cortisol and less cortisone, which is the, yeah, <laughs> the 11, one. Everyone yeah. just fell asleep. Okay. Um, Whatever. It doesn't so matter. anyway, so, we, so you got to think about these things. So we confirmed but, um, it's PCOS. So they were all normal. Yeah. Um, but so what else do you got to think about? So, you know, she's, she's now, she's got obesity really clinically, right? Um, and uh, oh, let's, what if she said my dad has diabetes and he was diagnosed when he was 40? What would you think as a primary care doctor? Yeah, I mean, she's got insulin resistance. Yeah, so she's at high risk of developing type 2 diabetes early on. So uh, doctors will do, you know, more blood work again. Um, you know, there's, there's evidence that doing uh, a two-hour glucose tolerance test is maybe a little bit better in, in these patients because they tend to show um, like higher sh- this this feature of uh, prediabetes or type 2 diabetes. So um, it's kind of like people often only know about the glucose tolerance test. I call it a sugar tolerance test for when they're pregnant. So that's how we diagnose gestational diabetes, but we do it even if non-pregnancy. And, and in, this is one of the cases I think we should, I always do. Anyways, yeah, yeah, I, I get, actually, know. you know, we joke about CGMs on Twitter, but I, I've had many PCOS patients come to like, can I have a, a CGM? And I say, yeah. And, it, and it, you can see clear um, yeah. glucose intolerance yeah. there. So, okay. yeah, so she doesn't want kids yet. Um, we, you know, we talked about weight loss um, with, with the other guy. What would you do for like dietary efforts? Yeah, one of the her? one of the most common you know things people are like PCOS you know screws with your hormones so you can't lose weight. But you know I've looked into it multiple times. The metabolic rates are tend to be normal, like normalized. Yeah. The total daily energy expenditure seems to be similar to other people. And when you look at different uh, diets and lifestyle changes, there doesn't seem to be a difference with those without PCOS and those with PCOS. Right. So when I've looked into it further, it's it's probably these those with like insulin resistance who have probably appetite derangements, and so and, and when you when you get down and start talking to somebody with PCOS who's struggling with their weight, it it, it does it comes down to sugar cravings yeah. and and and, and uh, uh, overall um, yeah issues and not with, only the dietary intervention but I think we've seen that in some of the medications. Right. Yeah. Where well, it's, I mean, it's about the same. Yeah. Because basically higher, interventional data, it seems to be higher, very similar. Yeah. Higher prevalence of binge eating. And so like you don't, what you don't want to do is just say, well, you're eating too much. That doesn't help. It doesn't right. help That's anything. not going to help so anybody. They're, they're, they're struggling and it's really tough. So this, this is somebody who, I mean, we would certainly talk to about considering medication to help yeah. them lose yeah, weight. Yeah. You, you try your best. You do, you know, I've had patients do just fine. I mean, I get the comments all the time on my social media, like, Hey, I, I was able to finally figure out a dietary pattern. They've lost, you know, five, ten percent of their weight and have kept it off. They're lifting weights, they're running, all this stuff, and they're yeah. they got a higher protein diet and they're doing fine. But some of the appetite derangement stuff, this is where ooh, I love love me some GLP ones in these types of patients. Um, yeah. Tours up so, so, my my favorite right now, of course, but um, some aglutide, whatever. Yeah. Where I don't, I don't, I don't think fine. we have any very specific PCOS terzepatide trials yet, but we do Not have yet. them with like liraglutide. Yeah, and, liraglutide. Uh, and so, and and the reason weight loss benefits people with PCOS, it's really a, it's even though it it can be in people with low BMIs, we talked about this already, having a low BMI doesn't necessarily make you not have adiposity-based disease. In PCOS, it has a lot of genetics um, to it, and but that just sets up the susceptibility. And so that, uh, you know, having a dysfunctional energy balance going on and and, and having, uh, it's it's really an adiposity-based 
disease. And so weight loss, you know, again, that five to 10% goal, more than that, you start improving all these features. Yeah, um, I can really change fertility, the which is important. between the ovaries so, and the pituitary and all again, of a sudden things start working. Uh, infertility comes all of a sudden my patients will be like, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, wow, yeah. that's amazing. And yeah. And part of that, in fact, probably the biggest part of that is, is the insulin resistance, which is, it, it really creates this vicious cycle of, you know, hypothalamic pituitary dysfunction. We talked about that's where you get your hormones that stimulate your ovaries, but then there's too much of the hormones and then, and then there's mm-hmm. insulin resistance. So then the ovaries making too much androgen. And then that yeah. it just it's it's a vicious cycle, so yeah. so yeah, diet efforts, weight like exercise certainly for that insulin resistance. They also have like we talked about the high risk of type two diabetes, probably a long term, higher risk of uh, heart disease. So you know exercise and yeah, lipids, the dietary, your lipids, you know, getting your lipids under stuff. control as well. Yeah. Yeah, lipids, we're going to, you know, your doctors will check your sugars and maybe even that Fib4, especially yeah. if there's any uh, AST, ALT elevation. I, I, so just to be careful, a, though, if yeah. you're on a GLP-1 uh, and you do looking at fertility, you want to stop the GLP-1 two months at least before trying to conceive. Yeah, although um, we don't know that there's really any harm with there this, isn't. Right? We don't think there is. It's just one think. of these. It's one of these guidelines yeah, it's so better just for anybody thing. out there because i've had a few patients yeah. get pregnant on, but on these things i was going to say a lot of people have gotten pregnant on them and we yeah. haven't seen any harm I haven't so seen just, any issues just to be fair thing. but just um, be careful so anyways but other things that we have to think about um you know there's increased risk of endometrial cancer so it is important to regulate uh your menstrual cycle and the the first line is is generally birth control pills some sort of oral contraceptive pill do you do that much as a family doc these days yeah, oh, yeah so that's much? all we i mean that's I mean, I, I'm, I'm an obesity specialist and lipid specialist now, so I'm not doing primary care. You don't but, say. Um, I, I have like, you know, maybe 100 primary care patients still from my old okay. practice. But yeah. So, so yeah. So that's important for the endometrial hyper, hyperplasia, which is the growth that, you know, we want to prevent uh, cancer. And it also is the first line therapy helps to reduce the, the hair growth that you don't want and the acne and, and all that stuff, too. Yeah, so symptomatic control, but um, you know, lifestyle changes. My coaches do great at helping my PCOS patients improve. So yeah, um, and uh, you know, metformin has helped. You know, not a ton of weight loss, but it does kind of help with yeah, that insulin some, resistance the, part. The side effect it, from it, it really can piss people off, but well, you can tolerate they, it. Yeah, they piss off all the type two diabetes patients too. But if you can um, tolerate yeah, it, it, can it but it doesn't improve the that androgenism, that male hormone stuff, the acne and, and the hair. Um, so we might. Uh, prescribed something called spironolactone, which I think we've talked about that medicine before. It blocks yeah. your your um, blood pressure hormone that comes from your adrenal glands, but it also blocks like testosterone type hormones like androgen. So do you ever talk to patients about that or you yeah, yeah, no, no, dermatology we, or us t- do that? I have a lot of or patients on spironolactone. Okay, yeah. good. So that's another thing your doctor might talk to you about. And then there's some topical therapies and um, probably would you, would you, talk to them about the fertility stuff? Like if she said, Hey, you know what? I want to get pregnant right now. Would you talk to her about, um, not that patients really care the names of these things, but the letrozole and clomiphene, or would you de- no. just kind of get them uh, to reproductive endocrinology? I'd go to re- reproductive endocrinology. Yeah. I wouldn't mess with that. So we're probably a little bit more on the fence. I mean, we, we might do that. OBGYN might do it, but certainly reproductive endocrinology. They're yeah. the ones that are going to be the ones to We do should get it, my so. reproductive endocrinologist friend on. Let's do it. She'll, she'll come on. 
What's her name? Should give her a shout out and yeah, so she'll listen to this and she's coming. We're, we're, we're getting her on. Actually, I should just text her right right now. She's on. Um, she's actually pregnant herself. Oh, perfect. Hurry. Uh, let's see. <laughs> okay. Well. All right, uh, Doctor. I mean, yeah, Doctor. Anyway, so yeah, Dr. so Hockey. I mean, that's that's kind of the basics of what I think. You know, so for this patient, for this girl, what? Yeah, she doesn't want to have kids right now. So you talk to her about a birth control pill, probably. Yeah, yeah. Because she then, she's, then, then you want to give her some terzepatide rather yeah, than a little metformin. Bit of terzep- that's little Okay, see if she wants to do that. If we could get it, I mean, obviously that's all. Yeah, yeah. Thing. lifting Coverages. lifting weights, running, yeah. dietary patterns, and that's for that's for health most importantly. And uh, yeah, give her uh, a weight loss medicine in her case, and then someday we can make sure she's that. By the way, that's like we said before, that will improve her future fertility. Obviously, we got to work really hard on weight maintenance because, like you said, she won't be on those medicines um, when she tries to get pregnant, and so then you know. A lot of effort for weight maintenance. Easier said than done. Yeah, easier said than done. And, you know, some of these habits with uh, lifestyle changes, they, they might be able to stick to it long term. It's just, it's yep. hard to know. You never know yep. with each person. So Absolutely. But, um, Exercise, really important. Exercise yeah. is medicine. So stay tuned. We'll do a lot more on yeah, PCOS. We'll get, That's been a high request. Yeah, we need to get some, we need to get some experts. And then um, Dr. Hockman, the, my friend, uh, she she might be able to just go over fertility in, in general. Because yeah, a lot of people great. struggle with fertility, not from PCOS, but also with their weight. And weight can actually improve their fertility. So weight yeah. loss. Um, so yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And, uh, Abby Ramsier, I think she, she was the first one that said, Hey, you know what? She's an OBGYN friend of, of mine. And, um, she was like, yeah, let's do a whole women's series. And heck yeah. Let's Very do it. good. Awesome. Yeah. We don't need two meathead guys. Uh, <laughs> Tell, yeah. Tell them all the girls what's going stuff. on. All right. Very good. All right. Well, there's <laughs> our two cases, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and PCOS, two important, uh, things that we see often in the clinic or in the cloud. If you struggle with these, uh, just know there's specialists out there that can help you. Uh, and don't let your doctor just say, oh, your liver enzymes are elevated, whatever, just lose some weight. You do have to go through the pathway and look for things. And if you have, if you're just were told you had PCOS with your irregular periods, you probably need some further workup to confirm just, um, uh, just to be sure. So hopefully if you listen to this, uh, you got some good ideas if you're a patient or if you're a fellow clinician looking to help people that struggle with these so anyway give us a five-star review go uh, tell your friends about us please Uh, please (laughs) all right here's our outro this podcast is for entertainment and education and information purposes only remember the physicians on this podcast are not your physician it should not be considered professional or personalized medical advice it should not be used to replace speaking with your physician or medical professional to discuss your specific health concerns the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose or treat any condition as a result we are not responsible for any unwanted medical outcomes the views and opinions discussed are of those of the host only and do not represent those of any other entities Thank you